0: Right. if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, please. 2 Corinthians 5, starting a new chapter today, going to be in verses 1 through 10, wrapped up chapter 4 last week. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle... Now that word tabernacle, referring to a residence, of course, but in this context is a metaphor for our physical bodies... So as we see throughout this text, there's a lot of illustrative words used. But essentially, the Apostle Paul is talking about your earthly body versus the eternal body that we will receive if we are believers. If we've accepted Christ as our Savior, then God has not only promised you eternity, but promised you eternity with a new body. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I said before, I'm certainly glad I'm not taking this body with me to heaven especially as I am getting closer and closer to 40. I don't want to know what this body will look like in 20 years, and I certainly don't want to take it with me. So God says that this tabernacle, verse 1, will be dissolved. God's going to end the life of this body and begin a new life, verse 1, eternal in the heavens, a house not made with hands. Now that house, again, not referring to the mansion that God promises. In this text, we're not talking about mansions. We're talking about the body. So the new tabernacle, the new residence, the new house that God will give you will be a new body. Verse 2, for in this we groan. In this what? In this body we groan. Some of us groan a little more in our bodies than others. And some of you, given about 10 years, you'll be groaning a lot more in your body than you are now. Now? But we groan in our bodies. The pain that's associated with the body, uh, the pain of looking at the mirror sometimes in the morning, we groan like, oh, no, I didn't want to see that. Groaning in our bodies, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Verse 3, for if so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now, we're going to stop there. We will keep The rest of the text, I'll I'll read through parts of that throughout the message, but we'll stop there for now. Verse 3 is saying, We're looking forward to the day when we shed this body and will be given a new body, but, verse 3 claims, if so be that when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Naked what? Spiritually. Meaning that when God is handing out the new bodies, will you be in line to get one? (laughs) Or will you shed this body? only to stand before God and God say, you're not getting a new body. Why? You are naked before me spiritually. You have not been covered spiritually. Now, what is the covering that God offers us as humans for spiritual clothing? Christ himself, his sacrifice on the cross. Christ tells a parable of a man who threw a wedding feast for his son, and he invited everyone to come. And he knew that many of those who came would not be able to afford the standard for that culture was to wear a nice outfit, if not a brand new outfit. So not only are the groomsmen and bridesmaids and and bride and groom wearing their best and wearing brand new outfits, even the guests would buy new outfits for the wedding. And so this man who had the wedding knew that many of the guests couldn't afford one, so he offered it to them. As they came in the door, here you go, here's some clothes, here's a changing station. Would love for you to enter into the wedding feast and have a great time as soon as you put on this new gown. As the parable goes, one man thought, I don't need to put on this gown. What I've got is perfectly fine. And if he doesn't like it, well, then deal with it. So the man walks through the wedding feast, eating the food, talking with the other visitors and the guests. And the master of the wedding spots him. I mean, pretty easy to see when everyone else is wearing new clothes but this guy. Spots him, goes up to him and says, hey, were you not given a gown? Why are you not wearing it? And the man has no excuse. He was given it. He refused to put it on. And the master of the wedding feast says, you're not welcome here. Well, that sounds harsh. The guy has to leave just because he doesn't have the clothing that is provided? Well, first of all, the clothing was provided for free. <laughs> the clothing is better than what he's got. Why wouldn't he put it on? The only reason I can think of is pride. The man in his pride says, this is good enough. And the wedding, the, the master, the father wedding said, no, it's not. In my house, I make the rules. And what you got ain't good enough. You have to leave. God is the master of the universe. God makes the rules. And we don't get to tell God what or who is good enough. God tells us. And you know God's answer? I'm going to give you the, 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 the answer right now. None of you are good enough. And what you've got, it ain't good enough. But you can have good enough in Christ. And that's for free. God is offering you the covering, the spiritual covering, so you can join that wedding feast in heaven, that you can be with him for eternity. All you've got to do is, in humility, shed the old covering that you had, your pride, your selfishness, your good works. Take it off and put on the spiritual covering of Christ. That's what we're seeing here in verse 3. It's going to be a great and glorious day when we shed this body, if We are spiritually covered. If we're not, not such a glorious day. Because once you shed this body, there is no going back. You only have one destination, and that is hell. The title of this morning's message is Heavenly Minded. I believe that Christians will rise or fall based on their ability to not just know this truth, but to apply this truth. So many Christians they think if I just read the Bible every day, I will find success. Now reading the Bible is helpful, reading the Bible offers truth, but reading the Bible in and of itself doesn't guarantee you success. Some Christians think if I just listen to Christian music all day every day and I turn on my radio, everything's going to work out okay. My marriage will be good, my kids will be good, my life will be good. Christian music is encouraging, and hearing truth sung to you can be uplifting, but that doesn't guarantee success. Some Christians think if I just go to church, and if we make a commitment that every Sunday we'll be at church, and every Sunday I'm literally dragging my kids to church because they don't want to be there, but I'm going to drag them there. I'm going to force them to success. That if we are at church at least once a week, everything's going to be okay. I can't tell you how many families... I've known in my lifetime, my short lifetime of 38 years old, can't tell you how many families I've known personally who grew up in church, went to church, and their life is a complete wreck. Way worse than they ever could have imagined it to be. (laughs) Okay. So if it's not singing and music, and if it's not the Bible, and if it's not church, maybe it's prayer. Well, we're a lot closer now to success, because prayer done sincerely is a, is a continued connection with God. And as you're continually connecting with God and keeping your heart and mind focused on God through prayer, you're a lot closer to success than you are of just going to church. A lot closer to success than you are just reading the Bible. Again, none of these things are bad, but these things in and of themselves will not bring success. But I will tell you, the next step above prayer, prayer's good, prayer's great, you need to be doing that. But when you're praying... You can, if you're not careful, be praying introverted (laughs) all about you. And your prayers are just one sorrowful, victimized, selfish request after another. Now, fortunately for you and me, God's patient, and God will hear your prayers even when they're selfish. God hears your prayers because he loves you. But truly successful Christian living. We'll have all of those things I just mentioned, but it must include this, a heavenly mind. If you have been doing all these other things and you're not finding the success in your life, you're not finding the joy and the peace, and you turn on the news and you're anxious, and you read the newspaper and you're angered, and you talk to your friends, and and you you, you feel like you literally want to yell and scream like, what is wrong with you guys? Don't you see what's happening? And you're just not happy. You're not joyful. You're not successful. Every little thing annoys you. You can think back five years ago, and you were much more patient than you are now. Literally, someone could just uh, misspeak, and you go off the deep end. Someone could drop some water, and it's like the end of the world. Like, everything irritates you. I'll tell you why. Your mind is not on heaven. Your mind is is on the here and now. How do I feel now? What's going on in my life now? What happened to me yesterday? What's happening to me today? What's going to happen to me tomorrow? It's all about you. It's all about this life. It's all about your problems. I want to remind you, this life ends. This body ends. Your problems stay behind. When this life ends, the problems end with it, praise the Lord. You don't take them with you. When this body falls and dissolves, as we saw, so do your problems dissolve with that body, praise the Lord. And you're so much. You give so much energy and sleepless nights to things and problems that, first of all, you can't fix Many of these problems you don't have control over. Second of all, they're only temporary. They will end. You know what won't? God, heaven, your eternal spirit. That won't end. And when this all ends, it's replaced with much better for eternity. A Christian... Who covers their mind with the helmet of salvation as we see in Ephesians chapter 6. You ever wonder what that was? The helmet of salvation is not the armor of being saved. Because the armor is put on by a Christian who's already saved. The helmet of salvation cannot be salvation. The helmet of salvation must be a constant focus and knowledge of where your salvation is taking you. Who it's taking you to. And Christian... If you can get up every day and say, man, there's problems. Praise the Lord, I'm going to heaven someday. The problems aren't nearly as bad. (laughs) And you can look at your coworkers and, man, they drive me crazy. But you know what? Someday I'm going to heaven and we'll all be perfect there. That's much better. But can you look at your kids and your spouse and look in the mirror and see yourself and say, wow, so many issues. Don't worry, all those issues dissolve when you go to heaven. (laughs) Patience returns. Peace returns. Joy returns. Returns. And it wasn't just reading a Bible verse that did it. It wasn't Christian music that did it. It wasn't being present here that did it. It is a reminding yourself I'm going to heaven. That's where my citizenship is. I'm guaranteed a home and a new body with it. Everything else is like shadows. You see them out of the corner of your eye, but you don't really pay attention to them. What you're looking at is the light. Christ, and the eternity he promises you. You want success? Start focusing consistently. Not once a week, not once a month. Consistently focus and think on heaven and watch your problems not necessarily go away, but no longer annoy you nearly as much. I see three points this morning. A heavenly residence a heavenly reunion, and a heavenly reward. Let's look at verses 1 through 4, a heavenly residence. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that's our body, we have a building of God. Verse 2, for in this we groan. In our body we groan. It's not really that fun living in this body. I mean, I can remember when I was younger, it was a lot of fun, and then it like peaked around mid-20s, and ever since then, not been nearly as fun living in this body as it was like 21, 22. So those of you still in your young 20s, I hate to break it to you. You're, you're about to hit the climax. It's downhill from there, okay? At least it was for me. Maybe you can hold off it a little, a little further. But we're groaning in our bodies, verse 3. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Remember that someday this body is taken from you. What's clothing you spiritually so you can be given a new body? Verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle, this body not this church not this building the word tabernacle referring to our physical body if for we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened life is difficult your body makes it difficult your body's inability to to push off every virus and to push off every bacteria, your body's inability to handle the heat and the cold of the changing, uh, changing seasons, your body's inability to get out of bed without hurting in the morning. Literally, guys, literally at 38, I get out of bed, there's a staircase right by my bed. I literally have to grab the staircase and do this until my knees start to warm up in the morning. I cannot just walk down the staircase I'm not saying I would fall. I'm concerned I would, and I'm not willing to chance it, you know, before I come to school. So I'm grabbing the railing. I go to my daughter's room upstairs. I'm grabbing the railing in the morning. I'm like an old man. And so verse 4, we groan. We're burdened. This body is a burden. And yet, we put so much time, energy, and effort into the burden of this body. And how much time, energy, and effort do we put into the kingdom of God, where we're going? We care so much about how this body looks, it will dissolve, and it's a burden, anyways. I'm not saying don't take care of it, take care of it. Don't make it worse than it has to be. But you don't get to keep it. You do get to keep eternity. Verse 4 Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. This body will be taken, and we are, we are, Apostle Paul is basically saying, I'm glad that I'm not unclothed spiritually, that I'm, I'm covered spiritually. And I'm glad the Apostle Paul says that someday eternity will swallow up this physical life and I can leave it behind. He's basically saying, I won't be upset when that day comes. All right, so I see here a heavenly residence, letter A. Our body has an expiration date. Have you prepared for the inevit- inevitability of death? Have you? You're not going to live forever. <laughs> Only young fools believe that. Only young fools believe they can run in the face of gunfire and the bullets will bounce off them. Only young fools think they can take a knife to a gunfight and beat ten guys. Only young fools think, I won't die. And if I do die, it'll be so long in the future, I'll be like 150 years old, I won't care anymore. Only young fools think they're guaranteed a life of 100 plus And only young fools think that at 100 plus, they'll want to die anyways. spoke with a lot of older folks. They're ready to go if they're saved. It doesn't mean they actually want to die, though. Just because you lived a full life doesn't mean you're looking forward to it. Only young fools believe that. Don't be a young fool. Recognize your body has an expiration date. We will all die. The The only ones who will be saved from physical death are those who will be on this earth when Christ returns for his church and takes them straight to heaven outside of death. What a glorious day that will be. I am hope I'm part of that group. I am hope I'm part of the generation that will be alive when Christ returns. I know I'm saved, so I know that if he returns, I will be part of that group, but I don't know if I'll be in that generation. I think I will, but so did the Apostle Paul. So that's nothing new. A lot of people have thought they were part of that generation. I mean, I really do think I am, but I'll be proven right or wrong in the next 100 years or so. Christians, because I will be 150 when I die. (laughs) Some of you are like doing the math. You're like, wait a second. (laughs) Christians, we're all going to die. Are you prepared for that? Some of you in this room, maybe you're not a Christian. Have you considered the inevitable truth? You will die. And the Apostle Paul in verse 3 says, when I die, I don't want to be unclothed. What if you are going to die? What do you believe happens after this? And if you believe there is somewhere after this, do you believe that all go to heaven just because? And why would you believe that? Because the Bible says the opposite. You see, a lot of people base their eternity off of what they feel and what they think is right. You can't do that. You don't get to make the rules. You can't play a sport, come up with the rules, and expect the umpire to ignore you. No, they'll call you out and they'll throw you out the, off the court, off the field. God makes the rules. They're found in this book. You follow them. You follow the guidelines he set for salvation, you'll be okay. Letter B. An eternal body can only be given by an eternal God to those who have residence in an eternal home. I can't give you an eternal body. I can't guarantee you an eternal home. Only God can. And God states that if you have been given salvation, you are guaranteed a new body. Verse 1 For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God. God's going to give it to you. And house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, if you recognize the fact that you are a sinner, sin deserves hell, you say, well, Pastor us stop right there, full stop. Who said sin deserves hell? God said sin deserves hell. Verse 623 of Romans, for the wages of sin is death. Revelation speaks a lot about where those who die in their sin go. And guess what? It's hell. God tells us that sin deserves hell. But also in Romans 623, God says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You deserve hell, but you don't have to have hell. All of us as sinners, we deserve to go to hell. Because we were born in our sin, and because our choices in sin didn't make it any better. There's only one choice you can make to escape hell, and that is the choice to, through faith and repentance, accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. What he did on the cross... Recognize that Jesus is God because he claimed to be so in the Gospels. Recognize that his suffering on the cross, his death on the cross, was sufficient to save you from your sins when he said, it is finished because he said so in the Gospels. Recognize that he did not stay dead but rose again and ascended to heaven as was stated in the Gospels. Recognize that faith in Christ as God who died on the cross For your sins is enough to save you, as it says in the Gospels. Recognize that, believe that, and believe that it is founded in Christ, and you're saved. Faith in Christ, faith in what he did on the cross, you are saved. Don't make it about who you are. Don't make it about your good works. That's not good enough. Not going to get you anywhere but hell. And when you are given eternity, you are promised an eternal body. Letter C, the follower of Christ Does not wish for death, but neither do they fear it. Verse 4. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Do you sense fear in that verse? I sense excitement. Now the Apostle Paul is not running to death, but nor is he running from it. The Apostle Paul is running to Christ, and whenever death arrives, he's ready. We're not a church who's going to be passing out Kool-Aid at the end of this service and say, see you in heaven soon, all right? That's not going to happen. We're not saying let's just end life because it's hard. No, we're going to serve God in this life. But we're not running. This church is not running in cowardice from death when that time comes. When God decides that our moment is here, I want to be dying serving God. If I can't do it physically, if my age does not allow me to serve God physically at that moment of death, then I want to do so spiritually at the very least. I want to do so in encouraging others in whatever way God allows me to. But Christians, we don't run from death. Death runs from God. And you're on God's side. Don't run from the enemy that God has already conquered. But nor should you run to it. Death is not an old friend that you embrace. Death is the enemy, but the enemy has been conquered. And when God allows death to come into your life, death doesn't win. Death fights. Death brings you down. And then God brings you back up with a new body in eternity forever. And death loses another soul. And death's not getting my soul. Death will get my body. And you know what? Good riddance. Death can have my body. I don't want it. But death's not getting my soul. My soul belongs to God. And when God gets what belongs to him, he attaches it to a new body that death can no longer touch, an eternal body. And if you can remember that, Christian, you're on your way to success. The problems of this life, the problems attached to this body, as the Apostle Paul says, the burdens, you can overcome them when you have a heavenly mind. Number two, heavenly reunion. Verse five. Now he that hath wrought... Us for the self same thing is God, who hath also given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Okay, so the one who saved us is God. The one who's going to give us a new body is God. The one who's going to bring about our eternal home in heaven is God. That's what verse five is saying. Who, has, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. That earnest has the idea of kind of like a down payment, like earnest money. So if I was going to purchase property, I'm going to give someone some money until they get all of it. I'm going to give them some up front to guarantee that we're going to follow through with the transaction. It's a deposit. And God has made a deposit on you. Hey, you're saved, but you're not in heaven, are you? In fact... Go ahead and read in, uh, further on now where we see in verse number 6. We see that therefore we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. You're saved, but do you see God with your eyes? No. You have a promise of a heavenly body, but is it sitting in the closet ready to be put on? No. And so how do we know that the promise of salvation is ours? Well, I know it because the Bible told me so. And that's enough for me. And I could say to someone, hey, I want to buy your property. And they say, great, it's yours. Let's sign a contract. Now, where's the deposit? And I could say, you know what? Hey, my word is my bond. You don't need a deposit. I will pay you in 60 months. When the time is done, you're going to get your money. That person's going to say, that ain't happening. I want a deposit. (laughs) I appreciate your word. I want money to go with it. You know what? You don't have to ask God for a down payment. You don't have to ask God for earnest money. God says, I'll give it to you without even asking for it. Not because he has to prove he can be trusted, but because he knows the weakness of our faith, the weakness of our hearts, the weakness of our minds. God says, I don't want you doubting that the promise may or may not come your way. So God says, I'm going to give you a down payment. I'm going to give you some earnest uh, reward that before you die and go to heaven, you've already got something to guarantee you're on your way to heaven. And what is that something guaranteed to you? It is, letter A, the Holy Spirit. Now he hath wrought us for the self-same thing as God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, capital S, God himself. God says, you want to be guaranteed you're on your way to heaven? You got got me with you. The Holy Spirit is dwelling with you. The Holy Spirit will not leave your side. The Holy Spirit will walk you through that difficult journey. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee. He is your down payment. He is your earnest deposit. And you can know, first and foremost, because God's not a liar. And God said for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 13, 10, 13. His word is his bond. But God says, even though you can trust my word, I'll give you something even on top of that. I'll give you myself the Holy Spirit. Letter B. The Christian connects with God now through faith, but then face to face. I am so looking forward to that holy reunion in heaven. I, I, I've wondered often, how does God look? God is not a man. Jesus Christ is a man. But Jesus Christ ascended to heaven and and I think in a glorified state, very similar to his mortal body. And I get that because we see in Revelation a description of Christ. But God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, what is this going to look like? I do not know and I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm a little envious of those who've gone ahead and already have that answer. I'm a little envious of those who are in heaven now enjoying a glorious time of, of worship of God and pure Christian fellowship with the saints of the Old and New Testament. I've got to be honest, I'm envious. Again, I'm not chasing death down, but I'm not running from it. I will run to God, and death will catch me when God allows. And then death will get what it deserves, my body, and the rest goes to God. The Christian connects with God now in faith. And that is what I said earlier. Prayer is important, but prayer not inwardly focused on all your problems. Prayer focused on the promises and the glory and the eternity that we will share with God. Focus your prayer life on that. Focus your mind on that. And as you connect with God, you connect in a healthy way. Those of you with children, there are different types of conversations. You could be talking with your children and they're complaining to you how much they hate their room and how much they hated dinner and how much they hate school and how much they hate everything and everyone in their life. You talked with them. That wasn't a healthy conversation. And then there's the conversations where they don't talk about how much they hate everything, but it's how much, what they want. Mom and dad, I want this. Mom and dad, I want that. Mom and dad, do I get that? It's not as bad as the hating conversation, but it's still not really a great conversation. And then there's the conversation where it's mom and dad. I'm going through some things. Can we talk about it? Those are the ones that bind you strongly to your children. Those are the conversations that help you develop them and that help develop a relationship. And Christians is the same way with God. You could talk to God about how much you hate everything, and you are talking to him, but there's really not a whole lot of benefit in that. You could talk to God about all the things you want, and he will listen. And he may even answer some of those, but again... You're not really drawing closer to him through that kind of prayer life. And then you can talk to God about what's going on in your life and, and what you, where you're headed and where he's taking you. Those are the conversations that draw you close to God. Letter C. Our desire to see God now is tempered by our love to serve him. Well, if this is true, Pastor Russ, and heaven's such a great place, and all we have are burdens and trials here, then what's the point of sticking around? And I go back to that illustration of the cult that I've given you in and, and multiple times throughout history, the Kool-Aid pass around and, and people not leaving the service. That has happened for the reason of why bother staying if heaven's so much better? Yes, heaven is much better, but there is a reason to stay. I said this last Sunday, one reason to stay is for you. I will stay for my family. I will stay for you, my church family. I love you. There is work to be done, and I'm happy to do it. As much as I'd honestly rather be in heaven, I love my family. I love my church family enough where I will be here for as long as God asks of me to serve. But another reason, verse 8 and 9, we are confident, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body. The Apostle Paul says, I'm willing to go whenever God calls You're not going to take me kicking and screaming, God. I'm not going to whine on my deathbed. Oh, no, God, why why take me now? It's like, praise the Lord, I'm done. Thank you, Jesus. That's the Apostle Paul. He's not going to be whining on his deathbed. He says, I'm willing to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. I'm looking forward to that day. Verse 9, wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. The Apostle Paul says, although I'm willing and I'm ready whenever God calls me, Verse 9, but I'm here to labor. That's my calling. I'm here to serve. And our desire to see God is balanced by our love to serve him now. Not that you can't and won't serve God in heaven, but there are things you can't do in heaven. There are acts of service you can't perform in heaven that can be performed here. I can tell you about Christ here. I can't tell you about Christ when I'm in heaven if you're down here. And number three. A heavenly reward, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. I want to clarify that verse does not mean Christians will be rewarded for their bad. It means everyone will stand before Christ. And those who are saved, as the Apostle Paul said, clothed, not naked, they will be rewarded for the good. And those who are unclothed, as we saw in that parable of the wedding feast, will be cast out and rewarded for their bad. Letter A. The Christian will never be rewarded eternally for their evil work. The unbeliever will never be rewarded eternally for their good work. If you're saved, we're told in other passages of Scripture that God will only reward you for those things you did in his name. Those things you did not do in his name, you will not be judged for. They will just be burnt and cast aside. There is no condemnation in Christ. If you're unsaved, if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, don't bother bringing your good works to heaven with you because God says your good works are as filthy rags. Those will burn away. All that will be left is your evil, and you will be judged eternally for your evil deeds if you're unsaved. The saved are only rewarded for the good things they did in Christ's name. The unsaved are only judged for the evil things. The saved aren't bringing their evil works to God, and the unsaved can't bring their good works to God. So which one are you? The saved or the unsaved? Letter B. Christians serve God out of love, not for reward. God rewards the Christian out of love, not for justice. When the Christian stands before God and God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. These are the things you did in my name. God is not going to say, you deserve this. Good job. You deserve this and this and this. Good job. You deserve some more. No, no. I don't deserve anything. I'm getting way more than I deserve just by being in his presence. God's not going to reward me for what I deserve. God's going to reward me because he loves me. And I don't don't serve him for the reward. I serve him because I love him. Because that's how a healthy relationship works. Now, look, I get, as parents, you know, bribery can really be an effective tool sometimes. I understand that. But if all you ever do to your kids is bribe them, and they only do chores because you paid them, and they only help because you gave them something, you are setting them up for a very dysfunctional, interpersonal relationship with future spouse, kids, and friends. Because for the rest of their life, they will think that everything they do deserves like return. And they will never offer unconditional love because they were never trained that love is unconditional. They were trained that if I do something, I deserve something. Good parenting, I'm not gonna say doesn't include the occasional bribe. Good parenting, not gonna say doesn't include the occasional allowance or whatever, but good parenting includes training your kids that sometimes you do things because you're part of this family and you love the family. No, I don't. Well, you better. Start loving this family by what you do. That's good parenting. And that's how God is for us. God's not bribing us to good works. Whatever God gives me for whatever I do, I am grateful for. But I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it purely because I love him. And If God gives me something, it's purely because he loves me because I can tell you right now, I don't deserve a thing. Let her see and we're done. A heavenly reward. All of humanity will stand before God in heaven. Not all will remain with him. All of us will stand before him. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we're told. Everyone. And then at the end of that time of recognition, some will stay and some will be sent to hell, the lake of fire for eternity. Will you be the one staying? say pastor us how can i know that i'm the one staying and not the one sent how can i know that you can know that from the word of god i've been preaching it this whole morning you can know that when you trust christ to get you to heaven and not yourself when you trust that christ will take you to heaven because he said so romans 10 13 whoever calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved when you trust christ to get you there you can trust christ will get you there and you say, well, Pastor us. how can I trust Christ to get me there if you do it his way? And what's his way? His way is faith in what Christ did, not in what you did. Don't trust Christ to get you to heaven because you're a good person. That's not his way. Don't trust Christ to get you to heaven because of good works. That's not his way. Trust Christ to get you to heaven because God is a good God who died on the cross for your sins and offers heaven to you freely if you accept that gift, that offer, in faith. And if you do, after we're done, all of humanity, of all time, after we're done bowing the knee and saying, Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be one who stays. You will not be sent from the presence of God. And Christian, what in this life is so horrible that it erases this awesome truth, your eternity. Well, death is horrible. No, it's not. Death is your entrance into glory. Well, lost relationships are horrible. God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Well, this physical body and what I go through and the pain and suffering is a burden, yet the Apostle Paul could sympathize with that, which is why he was so ready to go to heaven when God was ready, ready to give it up, give death his body, and take what God offered in return. How about you, Christian? What in this life is overwhelming you? Stop considering the problems of this life and start considering the promise of eternity. And you can make it through this next week. Let's pray.